Welcome to the Hearers and Doers podcast. I'm Becky Kaiser, and I'll be the host for this show. Do you need a space where you can show up just as you are? This is your place. Dry shampoo, crying kids, messy house, and barking dogs are all welcome here. Do you need a cheerleader who sees all your amazing potential and unique ways God's called and created you? Done, I'm signing up as captain. I'm a certified life coach and Bible teacher with decades of experience who isn't afraid to tell you the truth you need to hear. Some weeks I'll be sharing practical and encouraging and sometimes correcting shows, and other weeks I'll be introducing you to new and old friends. You ready? Let's go, my friend. All right, well, today we have a very special friend on the Heroes and Doers podcast, Kat Armstrong, and I have known each other. Kat, how long? I'm 40, I just turned 41. We high school freshman year. So you, what was your high school freshman year? Was that 1995? I graduated class of 00, 2000. Yes. So we have known each other. um, Since the 1900s. Yes. Since 1996. (laughs) We've known each other since 1996. If I'm, if I'm doing the math, right. So yeah, yeah, it's been a, it's been a minute. It has been a minute. I'm so excited. Well, Kat, for anyone who doesn't know you, I am so excited they're going to get to know you today. Um, But why don't you tell them a little bit about your life and what you are up to, and then we'll get into some questions. Well, I don't eat any spicy food, but I am a spicy (laughs) Mexi German Bible teacher and author. (laughs) I bring some spiciness to my conversations, my Bible teaching, my writing. Mm -hmm. Um, I've been married for 20 years to Aaron Armstrong, who is the lead pastor at Dallas Bible church in Richardson, Texas. And so it's such a joy to support him in his calling um, as the pastor's wife there. And we have one son, one and only Caleb Armstrong. Oh, he's 10 so and he's really into Taekwondo. He's really into Legos. He's also still snuggling me, which I am Aww. just soaking it up. Um, yeah. we live here in Dallas with my mom. My mom moved with, in with us five years ago, six, five or six years ago after my dad's, uh, death by suicide. And that really rocked us and mm. changed me fundamentally. I mean, I, yeah. I, I say this a lot on podcast episodes, but I'm like, it changed me fundamentally as a person yeah. and it's yeah. changed every aspect of our lives. But one of the redemptive parts has been my mom moving in with us and mm. her support of our family, really her presence here, um, enables me to travel and to speak, um, and mm. to do all sorts of different things that I, I couldn't do without her help. Um, and so I'm also during, so I, I have, and we'll talk about this, but I have what I would consider my paid vocation and my unpaid Sabbath delight. Um, so Monday through Thursday, I'm the director of leadership processes for integrous leadership. So I oversee all content and all coaches for this amazing organization. Um, and then on Fridays I practice Sabbath delight where I do things that make me delight in my creator. And although Mm -hmm. it might sound like work, writing has always been how I commune with God. Since I was 16 and came to faith, Becky, I have had journal, 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 suitcases and closets full of journals. So the way I commune with God, the way I enjoy his presence and delight in my creator is through writing. So I reserve Fridays to write, to speak, to prepare messages, 
to get ready for my fourth and fifth grade Sunday school class that I teach at my church. And, um, so that's just a little bit about me and a little bit about my life. Oh my goodness. So many directions. I want to go from that, but on a tiny rabbit trail. So you have lots of journals. One thing I am the same, like I have storage bins of journals and I think they're both adorable to read back like the high school and college ones, especially, but at the same time, I'm like, I feel like I'm old enough now to not want anybody to read these. Yeah. So do you save every journal still? Cause I'm thinking no. about having like a big bonfire and burning them. It's like an aroma into the Lord each time now. <laughs> yes. I, I went through this phase, Becky too. I, yes, I got rid of so many. There were a few that I held that I thought this was a really pivotal moment in my life, or I've highlighted it or circled it, or I went back and was like, this was a moment, you know, yeah. a, a moment of faith, a moment of turning a mo- moment of repentance. But for the most part, I find them to be extremely cringy, <laughs> ter- <laughs> terribly written, uh, bordering on heretical at times, not knowing what I was even processing with the Lord. And I think in some ways it's helpful to go back and cringe and helpful yeah. to go back and go. I did not know what I didn't know and to feel the humility of, wow, God uses people before they're really ready. And he equips the people he calls clearly because, um, my, my conversations with Jesus are very telling about what was important to me at the time. And, Uh but, um, this is so random, but I'm, I really love Taylor Swift. So if people want to write in about how bad that is, send it to, I don't check this email at (laughs) gmail.com. I'm obsessed with Taylor Swift. And she talked about on one of her movies, like going back through her journals and being Uh so mortified at what she found. But then she also said, but you know what? It's also shown how much I've grown as a person. That's good. You know, I mean, she started journaling when she was like 12 and I started when I was 16 and we're not 16 anymore. (laughs) Right. I don't, there's so many times where I think where I, I feel bad for this current younger generation because like when we were chaplain of Byland in college as a Christian sorority cat and I were both in and we taught every single week and I'm so, and I remember feeling like God inspired those messages and prepping for hours for each one. And today I'm just super grateful that that's the only memory I have of them be- and yes. that there's not someplace people could watch them yes. or re-listen to them or anything like that. It's, it's kind of, it's really challenging for people now who are wanting to get their feet wet with different spiritual giftings because they don't have as much room for air or as much perceived yeah. room for air. Yep. Yeah. Or they think they're ready before they are, you know, and we'll talk about that later, but character formation and transformation under the spirits leading takes time. It takes time. It just, it just does. So, um, we've got to get our feet with serving, but we also, um, have to be really, um, like we have to wait on the Lord. Yeah. Yeah. So one thing that I have gotten to see in you, having known you for so long is y'all cat is one of those like unicorn of a people that anything she touches turns to gold. Like she's just, if you didn't love her so much, you might be irritated by her because she's just (laughs) so good at everything. Um, but one thing cat that I 
have loved watching about you is your willingness to pivot, like your willingness to go all in on things, but also your willingness to say, this season has passed and it's time to pivot and go a new direction. And they've seen you do that um, in schooling. I've seen you do that in career paths. Um, I've seen you even do that, not in ideologies, but as you were talking about, like your theology has shifted and grown and you've allowed it to evolve. So I think a lot of women feel like that, that if we pivot, we come across as flighty or indecisive and they struggle to stay, that they stay stuck in places they're not supposed to be any longer because they don't want to seem flaky. How have you experienced this pivoting that you've done in my eyes so well? I know the, the details, there's a lot of like cringy things that you said earlier that still have happened, but how have you handled that? Yeah, I think my 20s and 30s were um, a process of elimination, trying to figure out what, mm-hmm. what am I supposed to be doing? And yeah. the truth is, I'm not sure I figured it out. I'll be 43 yeah. this year. And, yeah. but now I feel the freedom to say it and to be yeah. like, I still don't know. I don't know. But yeah. what I do know is that every single thing I've done up until this point, even though it's gone on a list and I've been like, well, process of elimination, crossing that out. I did not want right. to run a bow tie company. Well, process of, <laughs> turns out network marketing was not what I wanted to do forever. You know, like, oh, starting a nonprofit. I'm not great at the maintenance part after I launched something. Yeah. Okay. Crossing that out, right. Executive yeah. director positions are probably not for me, even though I did it for 11 years and loved it. Mm-hmm. You know, so I think we go, we just have to give ourselves the freedom to Mm -hmm. grow in God. I mean, the new Testament is so clear that we're growing up. So the things that used to fit will not fit. Um, my son is 10 and Caleb, we joke, I mean, he'll wake up one morning and we're like, you seriously grew like three inches. How do the pants I brought, bought you last weekend look like Capri pants today. (laughs) And so in some ways, if our spiritual growth, if we are growing as people, if we're growing relationally, if we're married, if that relationship's growing, if you're working, you know, things are changing. So what fit us won't fit us in the future. And so I think I've just given myself the freedom to try things and to say, I didn't love it. Even if it was successful or seemed like it was successful on on social media, there was still a part of me evaluating, is this truly, you know, vocation is where opportunity and passion and all of that meet. Um, And I also think I've been free from that. My vocation has to make me a living. And so I really had some pressure that I need to be in the middle of God's will, change the world and get paid to do it and love every aspect of my job. And now what I understand is that I can be doing something for a living that I really love. I love it, but that isn't connected to my writing or speaking. And I think when I got into being an author and a speaker, that that was always the goal. And it was presented to me as like, that's when, you know, you're really fulfilling your calling is that you're living off of your royalties from publishing. You're living off of all these extraordinary opportunities. The platforms just get bigger and bigger opportunities come faster and faster. And we'll talk about this later, but I've gotten off that train. 
I'm just off that train. I want to maintain my communion with God to be my Sabbath delight practice. And to do that, I don't want to attach it to my income. Now, if I made some money doing it, wow, that would be awesome. But I have been preaching and teaching since 1999. And there's never been a year that I've ever come close to providing what my family needs from my speaking engagements. And I'll probably be one of the 90% of authors that never make a royalty. And I feel like I just even have accepted, like, what if I don't, is this really still what I want to do? And for me, the answer is yes. I've just got to find a way to do it. So I need to do something to help support my family, but then I need to steward these gifts. And so my, my goals have just changed. You know, it's no longer I want this many speaking engagements and this many publishing contracts so that I can provide for my family. It's rather, where is the spirit leading me to commune with Mm -hmm. him? Is this really a good use of my gifts and time? You know, so those are more of the existential questions. And I think when we're in our twenties and thirties, you just got to do what you got to do. And now that I'm in my forties, I'm like, I've done a lot of things that I've got to do. Now I've got to really focus on what do I want my life to look like in the second half of my life? Hmm. That's good, Kat. And that, but that's, that's hard because I also, I feel like so often, and I don't know if it's just Christian culture, I think it's all culture that we feel like what we do to earn a living has to bring us so much fulfillment and joy. And that's not to say you don't love your job because I know you are like geeked out, obsessed with who you work for, but not everybody has that. And I think a lot of women who are engineers and lawyers and teachers, and it doesn't always feel fulfilling or even exciting to go to work, feel this guilt that they're compromising just because they don't feel purposeful at work. Um, So I love that you said that. One thing I did want to like pick your brain on a little bit is, so you talked about with ministry that you're not even on that train. And that is, it's something I just, as someone who does write and speak and does ministry, but also dabbles in coaching and consulting in the business sector, it, it's a hard tension to be in. And so I, we got, we started signing deals at the same time and we've kind of walked a similar path as far as timing goes. And I've been so, what's the word? Challenged, um, pushed. I don't have the right word for it, but I've been so challenged Kat, by your willingness to say, I'm going to step off this train because it's like you said, like, once you get on it, there is this burden and pressure of, okay, I have to grow my email list. I have to be speaking this many places. I need to network with these people. How did you get to a place where you said, I'm not going to play the game anymore? Yeah. Um, and what has I've, the consequence of that been? I found it to be soul sucking. <clears throat> and I found it to be uh, devoid of the Holy Spirit. And man, mm-hmm. if you get me talking about this, I'm I'm definitely going to create some friction and tension for people. And I'm going to pray, even just right now as I'm talking, that the Spirit of God would control my tongue. Um, yeah. You know, a lot. The Christian publishing industry is a business, and I love mm-hmm. business. Yeah. And so their main focus our sales. And at the same time, they get Mm -hmm. to cultivate their audiences and do some really good things for God. But I was presented with, 
whether it was known or unknown, whether it was intentional or an unintended consequences, the way I personally internalize what I was looking at, what I was hearing, the advice I was being given came from a lot of different places, but I want to focus on the way I internalized it. I don't think that's the way everybody does. So someone may be listening and going, I don't struggle with any of the struggles she has. Well, then sister, you're free, go and be free. Um, but yeah. for me, I found soul sucking was, um, I, I, I literally cannot wrap my mind around people buying their followers, buying likes, buying reviews. If you are a Bible teacher and you are supposed to be talking about the free gift of grace and about Jesus, who was willing to sacrifice everything, who was congruent and aligned in his integrity and in everything he did. And you present yourself one way online that is devoid of reality. And then you think you can get on a platform and teach people the truth of God's word, man, you better watch yourself. And (laughs) I felt the temptation. I I think I got to a place, Becky, where I was like, I can't believe I'm even considering this. I can't believe that I sat down to entertain a proposal to pay thousands of dollars to buy followers that weren't real. And I got to that place, didn't do it. And was like, this is gross. And the fact that we don't feel those tension points of like, I'm going to buy followers so I can teach them about Jesus. Is this even the way of Christ? Do we think that Jesus would buy his way onto a platform? No, he would use Mm -hmm. the supernatural power of God to multiply and to heal and to gain leadership following through the work he was doing, the good work he was doing. I think that Becky, I saw, um, the self-promotion and, Mm -hmm. um, you know, um, I have reframed to where, when I get on social media and I talk about my, you know, new Bible studies that I'm so passionate about, there are, I now have a rule of life for my social media presence, how I want to show up on social media. I want to Mm -hmm. steward my messages and I want to serve my community. Mm. I do not want to gain followers. I am not here for engagement statistics. I know I am not going to check this once a week. Absolutely. No, I'm not going to compare myself to other people. This is not even Christ likeness. So I'm just like, I go to the new Testament letters of these people sacrificing it all to be a part of this new family where status and privilege were destroyed in the name of Jesus. Like mm-hmm. if we want, so I, I was taking a new Testament class in my doctoral program this spring with scholar Nijay Gupta who's done so much work in Philippians and Colossians. And so we learned so much about the Greco-Roman culture and the Roman empire and Philippi. Becky, it sounds like Dallas, Texas, where status and privilege are everything, where everyone's bragging and bragging rights. And it's about where your face was on the statues in the city. And it was about the celebrations for all of the good works you've done and the investment you've made in the building and in the city and how close you were to the emperor and your status and privilege came from all of that. And what I found, the way I internalized Christian platforming of celebrities in the author industry and in the Christian speaking industry is that self-promotion was status seeking. And the New Testament invites us into a family where your status doesn't matter. 
And that should yeah. be the best thing we've ever heard that no matter right. where family we came from, what kind of money we make, how many followers we have, that we are in Jesus's family. And that now we can bring everybody in with us. And what I saw in the industry is that status seeking created all of these hierarchies of comparison. Mm -hmm. It sucked my soul. I also yeah. felt like the, um, even agenting, like I can, now I can convince someone you need an agent, you need to do this. You need, I can convince you one way. And then I found yeah. that for me personally, this was not the right way that I want to yeah. be in deep relationship with the people I'm collaborating on to create my works, my written works that yeah. I do not want to go between. I want, I want to be in such a deep relationship of trust with the people I'm yeah. publishing with. And so even just little parts of the industry that felt like you just have to, I right. mean, if you're going to be successful, this is just what you have to do. And mm -hmm. I would say another one was just saying yes to everything and anything to create mm -hmm. momentum. Yeah. It was like, that was the goal of like, you got to create momentum. You got to get some online traction, 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 traction was the word, you know, yeah. as opposed to, uh, you need to go to your local church and invest there <laughs> for decades and decades yeah. just to see one life changed and for no one to recognize you for what you've done. But then you, you get into Christian publishing and you get into, um, speaking and it's about seeing and be seen. It's about putting them, you know, photos on Instagram, and as you can tell, I'm, I'm worked up about it because yeah. I, I sense that I was about to fall into an abyss and lose my faith over yeah. the nonsense. And then I woke lose up one day or lose yourself and lose myself. And I woke up one day and Becky was like, I don't have to do this. I don't know mm -hmm. why I feel pressure to, I don't know where <laughs> it came from or who told me, or if this is just the lie I fed myself, but yeah. I am empowered. I have agency to say, I don't want to do it this way anymore you know? Yeah. So it's and simple things. It. Like when people email me for speaking engagements, it's like, Hey, my name is Kat. I'm the one answering this email. I'd like mm -hmm. to have a phone conversation with you. I'd like to get to know you and what your ministry is about, as opposed mm -hmm. to have a go between send a contract and, you know, work out how many bottles of water I need on stage. I'm like, <laughs> you are a minister of the gospel. And so am I let's commune. Yeah. Let's right. pray. Let's seek God. Like, what do you want out of this event? And what I found yeah. is that was a turnoff to people who were like, yeah. oh, we just have a fourth slot to fill. Wow. <laughs> we, we just need a fourth speaker for this conference. And yeah. I started to say, you know, I don't think that's for me. And people yeah. were like, what? I'm like, thank you for this amazing opportunity of thousands of dollars that I just, I don't feel, um, I don't know that we're collaborating actually. I don't, I don't know that we're doing ministry work because I know what ministry work is and this right. doesn't feel like it. This feels like right. me going, oh good. Another self-promotion opportunity to support the titles that will bring me royalties. that will support my family. And I'm like, this system is broken. It is broken. Do you think it it's broken? I think we both have seen that. Do you feel like there's redemption in it? Like, do you think that there's a way to turn it around? Yeah. And here's what's, what's so neat is that I have friends in the industry. It didn't suck their soul. They had the capacity from God that I didn't have, that they were able to steward their messages and serve their communities while also simultaneously gaining status 
without really trying. They inherited and were given platforms. They weren't seeking it. And I've watched mm-hmm. them do it well. I've watched them stay connected to Jesus. And I look at what they're doing, whether they build staffs or organizations or whatever they do to support their work. I'm like, that's amazing for them. Mm-hmm. And not to sound cliche, but I love it for them. I just think right. that's, that's not, I don't think it would be right for me. And that's yeah. been hard too, in an industry where it's like, we're all, you know, we're all kind of going the same direction. And I'm like, yeah. I don't know that this is the best one for my soul. It, it probably yeah. works for yours. And then as far as redemption, well, yeah, I mean, social media can reach the masses with the gospel. Your yeah. written word will outlive you as a person. Mm-hmm. Someone could be impacted by a message, Becky, you have written that's mm-hmm. after you have passed you know, it's a mm-hmm. legacy. So I see all the amazing parts of the industry. That's why I'm still a part of it. That's why yeah. I am now on my sixth and seventh titles with my eighth and ninth coming out in just a few months. I want to do this forever. And I think that right. was, that was the question I would challenge people to ask if I continue to do it this way, will I want to do it forever? Mm-hmm. And if my Sabbath delight practice is communing with God through writing, Am I turning that into something that's not sustainable? And for me, the answers were clear. And so I was like, I just got to do it a different way. Right. Yeah. I had a counseling session. I've started with a new counselor a couple months ago. And we were talking about a situation where I had gotten, we had gotten out of the situation, but we had friends who were still in it. And I was wrestling with, uh, I just don't understand why I felt like we really had to go and they really felt like they had to stay. And and that could be related to so many people in so many different ways. And she said, um, but then I was telling her how I like had a moment of just praying and working through it and feeling like I can understand why they had to stay and hoping they can understand why I had to leave kind of like what you were seeing with the industry. And then she said, and I, but I asked her, I was like, do you feel like I need to talk to them? Like, do you feel like I should tell them like why we had to go? And she said, no, like, unless the spirit really puts it on your heart, she goes, maybe God's placed them in that space so that they can be part of the redemption story, because that's the father. He always wants to redeem, right? He's always giving more and more and more opportunities to redeem something. And she said, maybe he's placed them there just so that they can be part of the redemption of yeah. what is broken. Um, and I thought that was really good. Okay. Now you've referenced these studies. Could you tell us more about your new storyline series, please? Yes. So, um, Aaron and I, and Caleb went to broken bow for a couple of days, a couple of years ago, and we were just on this little family vacation. Um, I sent the boys outside to leave me alone so that I could finish my tea. And I was on my second reading of Dr. Pennington's incredible scholarly work on Sermon on the Mount. It's called Inhuman Flourishing. So I'm on my second reading. I'm geeking out with Dr. Pennington. I love that man. And he casually mentioned in his book that there are a lot of mountains in Matthew. He said, Jesus was tempted on a mountain. Jesus preaches his most famous sermon on a mountain. Jesus is transfigured on a mountain and Jesus commissions his disciples on a mountain. And this is, it doesn't even include the Mount of Olives, the feeding of the 5,000 all happened on mountains. And I, Becky, I set that book down and for the next six months looked up every time the word mountain showed up in the Bible and was like, get out of here. There's Mount Sinai. Like Becky and I are going to be together forever on Mount Zion in the new garden city, the new heaven and the new earth. Like this is the high points 
-hmm. in our faith life and our faith history in the scriptures have been high points geographically or metaphorically in the story. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that's a mistake. I think the Bible is a literary masterpiece. I think Mm -hmm. God in his artistic brilliance took a story that unfolded over 1500 years, over 40 different authors in 66 different books. And yet it's cohesive and unified. And that just like blows my mind. And so when my faith is tested, when I feel like I'm rebuilding, disentangling my faith, I'm like, goodness, this, Mm -hmm. there has to be one true living God who could, I mean, I couldn't even do a group project in high school or college. So I can't imagine (laughs) this kind of group project level. And there is unity and like, you know, cohesion to this group project that God has been leading. But beyond that, just the literary layers of scripture, that these are stories and they were written in story form because we are a story. Our story is developing. We can find our place in God's story. And so mountains led to studying valleys because you can't study mountain without valleys. Mm -hmm. And what I found there, Becky, is so many faith battles happened Mm -hmm. in valleys. Mm -hmm. So we know Caleb and Joshua scout the promised land out in the Valley of Eskol and see the giants and have to decide if they're going to believe God. We know that Deborah and Jael fought against the Canaanites in a valley and won that battle. And they had to decide, she and Barack had to decide, are we going to believe that God goes before us and got this victory? It's when, um, uh, it's when David fights Goliath, that's in a valley and David steps up to the plate and has to face the giant. Um, the Valley of shadow of death in Psalm 23, Mm. you know, this is a low point where it sounds like someone's near death or someone has died and they need resurrection. The Valley of dry bones in Ezekiel 37, that, that God's people are ground to dust, Mm -hmm. rotting dead bones and need resurrection. And so what I found is that valleys were low points in our faith history, um, metaphorically and geographically, because they parallel our experience when we're in low places. And we have to fight for our faith when we're at Mm -hmm. a low point in life. Um, And then I got into (laughs) trees and stones and I just feel ridiculous still telling people, and I can't believe that they're published. You know, I can't believe (laughs) I had an editor that was like, this is fun. I'm nerding out with you. I'm like, I can, I love trees in the Bible and they, they bookend the scripture. So you've got the tree of life in Genesis You've got the tree of good and knowledge of good and evil, but then you also have the tree life again in revelation. So they book mm-hmm. in, they literally mm-hmm. book in these trees, the great wow. story of redemption. And in between you've just got, I mean, trees are freaking everywhere. I mean, you can't, you can't, <laughs> you, it just, they're everywhere, you know, from the, the root of Jesse and Isaiah to Jesus being hung on a tree is what Peter wow. tells us to Jesus saying he is the vine and we are the mm. branches, you know, to you get to revelation. And then Jesus is the tree of life in the center of the garden city, supplying all of our needs and healing the nations with his leaves. Yeah. Um, and so I just started to see that major life decisions happen at trees. Yeah. So Adam and Eve have to decide, are they going to receive wisdom in God's presence, or are they going to receive it from the tree? They were told they couldn't eat. So that's a decision. So I found that trees in the Bible represent decision trees that you and I have all day long in our lives of, you know, we need wisdom to follow God. And these tree moments in scripture are like, are you going to follow God or not? And then stones, that was my favorite. I'm like, I'm probably not supposed to say that. 
<laughs> but of the six stones, stones man, is your favorite. Why oh, is it your favorite? Becky, it's, I started writing. I started looking up every stone in the Bible, <clears throat> the day that Russia invaded Ukraine mm-hmm. and the world just felt so fragile. Yeah. It felt like I was standing on sand in our world. It felt like an erosion of confidence of what could happen in our world. It just felt overwhelming. Yeah. And I needed to be reminded in the Psalms that he is the rock of our salvation, Mm -hmm. that he is our refuge and our stronghold, right? That God's character is rock solid, that Jesus is the cornerstone, the rock of ages. Like, um, so what I found in that study, Becky was super fun is I looked at, um, Jacob sleeps on a stone, which, you know, Mm -hmm. I like my pillows firm, but that seems kind of (laughs) like next level. Um, he has this vision of God and worships God by building a pillar of stones. And then Joshua, when he crosses the Jordan river, they bring stones of remembrance and they make Mm -hmm. a pillar. Right. And Moses gets the stone tablets. So these are very defining moments of faith in the, in our faith history. But when you get to the new Testament, the stone is rolled away for Jesus. So in the old Testament, you got people gathering stones, anointing stones, erecting Mm. pillars of stones, gathering them and putting them together to worship and to say, we have faith. And now we have Jesus and the stone is rolled away. And Peter tells us to be living stones the way he was a living stone. And so that one, man, keep going, keep going. It was just so, so good. Um, And we think for people who feel unstable in their faith, that rock yeah. imagery. Um, mm. And of course it didn't help that Bono put out his memoir and <laughs> did all these like interviews and did an interview with Mike Cosper at CT at Christianity day. And he's quoted Bono says to Mike, I am fixed to a rock and that rock is Jesus. Mm. And I was like, well, I mean, good enough for Bono good yeah. enough for me. I mean, I feel like you could put that at the front of the Bible study as a personal endorsement. Don't you? <laughs> Bono would like this. Um, would be he would love it. So there's two more that come out in August called sinners and saints. And in my doctoral work, I was looking at new Testament characters and Becky, what I found is that many of the people considered sinful in the new Testament, mm-hmm. um, the Canaanites, the Samaritans, the prostitutes, um, the women, um, the lame were actually people who exhibited the most faith in God. Mm. And what I found is that in saints, I do a deep dive into Pharisees, Sadducees, chief priests, and disciples. Mm. And I show how sometimes they didn't get it. Yeah, they should have, but they didn't. And so my, you know, this Caleb Armstrong, my 10 year old, he's the one who visioned out this series with me, if you can believe it. But the reason sinners and saints exist is because he came to me and he said, is Anakin Skywalker a good guy or a bad guy? <laughs> and I'm like, Caleb, that's a really good question because you're yeah. not in English literature classes yet to learn yeah. about the flawed hero archetype of character. Yeah. So this is like Boromir from Lord of the Rings. It's Judas. It's sometimes Peter, you know, these flawed heroes. And so I was able to teach him about that and go, you know, the reason Caleb is like super confused about this is that we typically make characters in the Bible, black or white. They're either good or they're bad. Is Anakin Skywalker good or bad? And I'm like, well, people are kind of complex. Um, (laughs) So that study was really fun because um, I was watching the news of like all these leaders fall 
and mm-hmm. sinners and saints reminded me that God is still working in yeah. people who are broken. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I was just, um, cause I'm finishing up the manuscript for my book right now. In one of the chapters, I can't remember what it was. I was talking about my favorite places to teach. And still to this day, my absolute favorite place to teach is the local prison. And I used to go once a month pre-COVID and I've not gotten back like on the rotation since then because it was closed down for so long. Um, but it's, there's something so fresh because they would be the considered the sinners, right? And, but there's something so raw and vulnerable and open that you don't get when you go to the Christian women's events, which I also love. It's just totally a different experience because they know they need redemption. And they've been told that the redemption comes a certain way and that, that path has failed them, right? Life has failed them. Yeah. And so when they hear about Jesus, it's like, oh my goodness, I didn't know this was possible. And it's so, I I can't wait to go through those studies. Okay. So now we know your favorite is stones, but for anybody wanting to start this series, do, do they start at the beginning and work their way through, or what would your recommendation be? I would just do them in pairs. You can start anywhere, but if you do mountains, you want to do mountains and valleys. And if you do sticks, you want to do sticks and stones. And if you do centers, you want to do centers and saints because they pair really well together. And what I did for small group leaders is I have a free download for every study that has all the discussion guides, prayer prompts, liturgy, prayer requests, space, like extra resources for extra study. I even have sermon, um, topics that you could preach through in addition to what's presented in the book. And then I also have leader guides that are for like a women's minister, a discipleship pastor, um, an associate pastor who needs to create a whole semester of curriculum, um, in Bible study work. And so I would say just do start anywhere, but do them in pairs. You'll really enjoy that. Okay. Kat, that's a lot of work. Well, people, all that people don't get in God's word. (laughs) And so I'm just trying to make it as easy as possible, like completely accessible, low barrier to entry. And so if you're thinking about leading a a small group, I want your, I want it to be so easy for you to say yes to that. And if you're up, you know, I'm close with the staff at our church and I see how curriculum has some gaps in what they need to create a semester worth of content. So I had the local church in mind the whole time. Um, Mm. and I just really am praying that this curriculum, because it's all curriculum. They're not books. It's a workbook. There's like charts you draw, you underline. And I'm just praying so, so much Becky, that it sparks holy curiosity that people Mm. are like, Oh, I'm so interested in this. I can't stop. Yes. Yes. And they will. I'm so excited. So I'm peer pressuring everyone listening right now to go choose whichever pair resonates with you the most, but that's good to know by get whatever you get, get it in pairs. And then do they go to catarmstrong.com to find the freebies or is there storyline? Yeah. You want to go to the storylineproject.com and you can find that on my Instagram. So if they follow me on Instagram, they can see it in the bio of like, Hey, here's the storyline stuff. Perfect. Perfect. So y'all go check that out. Um, okay. One thing I wanted to pivot real quick. You had mentioned for sinners and saints, you had mentioned that women were often considered part of that center group. And I know we don't have a ton of time left, but you have been 
easily one of the most influential people in my life with this topic specifically. And I can remember, I don't know if you remember, but I can remember long before we even were published, but you telling me, Becky, you need to know what, what you, how you interpret the Bible and what it talks about with women. I was like, Kat, I don't, it doesn't matter. I'm never, I don't care. Like I, I just didn't care. And you kept pushing and saying, you really should know. And I was like, I just don't like the divisive things. So I stay away from them. <laughs> um, and so I wanted to, I wanted you to share why do you feel like it's important for women, not just women who feel called to be in ministry, but all women to know how the Bible interprets those passages about women in the Bible? Yeah, this is a really good question. Um, I'm not interested anymore in having conversations about what women can and cannot do now in their local church context. I think that's a conversation for someone with their pastor, yeah. local leadership, whoever's in leadership at your church, you, if you want to know more, go to your pastor and ask them and work that out in your local context. Um, so I'm not interested in conversations about what women can or cannot do now. What I am passionate about is what women have always been doing based yeah. on the scriptures. Okay. And I think that there's something powerful when women can find themselves in the text oh. and go, Oh, the first worship leader for Israel was Miriam. Oh. Wow. God's called me to lead worship in my context or to be a worship leader and not just through right. song, but just to worship God. And I think there's something powerful when women who are in the business sector or in politics or in government see Deborah and go, wow, she was the only good judge, the only good judge. She's a second Moses. She's a literary type of Moses who parts cosmic waters, leads her people through and defeats the enemy, the Canaanites. Um, and so once you see Deborah, you can't unsee her. Like once you read right. that JL was the most blessed of all women, and she earns this title by nailing a tent peg through the enemy's skull, <laughs> you, you can't unsee that right. there are ways that women can exist and thrive in God's yeah. kingdom when they are passive and they are genteel and they are quiet. And that is so beautiful because that's how God made you. And also there's room for JLs that do a little bit of initiative, taking risky work, um, yeah. and get some literal blood on their hands. And I yeah. think once you see Holdla's prophetess powers, she existed where there were so many other options for King Josiah to go to. And yet he chooses her, the scholar of the scrolls to exegete the passages for him, to understand what the law, what Torah meant. And so she was a scholar. Mm -hmm. And I think women who have deep, profound passion for a scholarly work or theological education will find themselves in her story. I think once you get to the new Testament and you see, um, that Mary Magdalene is the first gospel preacher that you see that the woman at the well is the first evangelist that Anna, the prophetess is one of the second people to see and proclaim Messiah is Jesus. When you see that there was a group of women financially supporting Jesus's ministry from Luke chapter eight, and that women were included in the 72 disciples that were preaching, healing and traveling with Jesus, whether they were married or not. 
-hmm. you can't unsee it. I think once you get to the epistles and you get to Romans chapter 10, and you see that Paul had allied himself with his co-workers who were his equals, there are 10 women listed in Romans 16 that were um, deeply invested financially, relationally, emotionally, leadership capacity to lead the local churches in the New Testament movement. And that in fact, without them, we wouldn't have the deaconesses and uh, the apostles. So you can't unsee Junia. There's like 3000 people in the Academy, maybe one or two think she wasn't a a woman. She was a woman and she was an apostle. And so you can't unsee Junia's presence as a co-laborer with Paul, someone who is elevated in his mind and called out Mm -hmm. because we know that there were hundreds of people helping Paul in his missionary journeys and church planning. And yet he chooses to name 10 women in Romans Mm -hmm. chapter 10. And they're easy to miss because their, their names are so um, unusual to us. Um, but you can't unsee that Lydia is the first church planter in the continent of Europe. And that she's the first person to come to faith, the first convert, and that she hosted the church in Philippi at her home as the leader. And she was doing so um, financially and she was doing so in leadership. And like, you can't unsee that Phoebe is who Paul trusted to deliver the letter of Romans, probably the most important letter ever written. And that Phoebe would have been the one to unroll that scroll to read it and then to exegete it. She would have gone through and explained to people what Paul meant by his right. words, right? And so she was obviously, Phoebe the deaconess to Sincrea was, uh, was a leader. And so even when you get to Philemon and some of these other epistles and see that women were hosting, funding, founding, leading, teaching um, yeah. in the early church, um, I'm interested in that. I'm interested in having conversations about what was the local level like and how, you know, so patronage and Greco-Roman history and context of all that stuff is so important, but, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not into labels anymore or like who can do what, or should I say something I'm more about, wow. Like Mary of Nazareth is one of the first prophetic voices in Luke. And she is mentioned more times than anybody else, except for Jesus and Paul and Mm -hmm. Peter, you know? So I want to, I want to look at, I want to look at those women and I want to study them. And I just don't want them to be missed in the story. And then I want to go, God, if you made space for them to do what they did, I, I want to do whatever it is you call me to do. Yeah, that's, that's so good. And I think you know, there's so many dividing camps and so many places we can sit theologically and we can get so stuck in the, well, are you this? Or are you that? Do you believe in this or do you believe in that? And to me, I think when we, I love what you said of let's not focus on what your label is or going and talking to someone to see what your label should be. Instead, let's just see what actually was there. And when we look at the full, that's one of the things I love about your teaching cat, both as sit, you're one of my favorite Bible teachers of all time. So I've gotten to do your teaching a lot and your writing where you, you show the full narrative of the Bible. And it's not just a, this one verse says this, so let's do this or this. Sometimes even when you go through um, scripture verse by verse, you can get so deep into it that you don't see the full supporting narrative either. Um, I remember it was right before COVID. I was in a Bible study. It was BSF and we were studying through, um, I can't remember what the study was, but it was when we got to the story of Tamar. 
And I was still in the, I don't want to have this conversation about women um, and all of that and wanted nothing to do. I like intentionally did not study anything because I did not want to be a part of it. And I remember reading the story about Tamar and it felt like the first time, Kat, like I know I had read it before, but for the first time I like slowed down and I was reading through it. And I was like, I had known, I'd been told Tamar was a prostitute. Tamar was a prostitute. And then I read the story and I remember the first time, like flipping my pages back and being like, how, like, how is she a prostitute? How is that? And I, I read the story and I'm answering questions. And I remember I threw not my Bible, but my Bible study cat across the room. When I, when I got to the part where it was like, Judah is the one that positioned her, like propositioned her. And she had been victimized again and again and again. I took my spiral bound BSF Bible study and <laughs> jumped it across my living room because I hadn't realized that that in church, sometimes we, not church, that's not a knock against the church, but in Christian culture, sometimes we are, we get taught based off of someone's positioning instead of looking at the narrative. And the truth about Tamar is she's one of the bravest people in the Bible. Yeah, she is. Like the fact that she went through so much, mm -hmm. I can't even fathom how she stood up again. Mm -hmm. and then went through what she did. And then Judah even said, you're like way more righteous than I. Judah yeah. said that about her and yeah. how that got interpreted that she's a prostitute and mm. should be shamed doesn't make any sense. And so I love your encouragement of let's look at these women. And when we look at them, kind of my experience with Tamar, when we look at them, what the Bible says about them, that's where we should build our theology and our belief about our place before God because we see how it unfolded, not just how one verse might be interpreted. Yep. Okay. We are running quickly out of time. So can I ask you one more question Yeah. and then we'll get to the wrap up. Okay. So the other favorite thing about I have for Kat is that she is the best cheerleader of other women. I mean, Kat, you really are like, I feel like anyone I meet who has met you in real life says, I just love her so much. You know, Kat sometimes texts me and she genuinely prays for me or she's genuinely checking. I think all of us feel like we have a special place in your heart and you are true advocates and not in the networking way. Mm -mm. You are a true cheerleader of other women. And I think this is something most women struggle with. We we struggle with that comparison and envy so much so, competition even, that we don't know how to be cheerleaders and advocates for one another. So how have you learned to be that? Yeah, I, I'm trying to think of that quote. I'm going to butcher it. When all tides rise, all the boats lift or when, yeah. you know what I'm talking about? All, yeah, the tides, when the when the water rises, all boats rise something. Yes. Yeah. It's about, it's, it's a, it's an image that I have in my brain when I cheer on other women doing similar things that I'm doing, which is if, if Jesus is really serious that you and I are siblings in his family, where there is no social status, that he is King and we are all his servants. And that in his eyes, children, slaves, husbands, wives, men, and women are all together in this family. 
one that really reframes how I look at other people's success. It's kind of like my success. And I know that sounds crazy, but I'm like, they're my family. It's like when you're proud of your brother or your sister and you're like, I know him, that's my brother. (laughs) Or I just said it last night. I tell people my brother-in-law, he's a a vice principal in our area. And I'm so proud of him as an educator and a leader. And I'm like, that's my brother-in-law. Like I, you know, or my sister-in-law who's doing well at Deloitte. I'm like, I know her, she's my family. And so I feel a sense of pride that you and I are siblings and that you're doing well because it feels like it's a win for me. And so that's been a shift in my thinking. And then I also would just say the new Testament's clear that we're family and the new Testament's clear that we should be encouraging people day in and day out that people have their tanks are not full. And we need to offer to people like, I love you. I'm so proud of you. God is so proud of you just to be reminded of those truths and Mm -hmm. something happens. And I think it comes from Proverbs 25, 11. It says he who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. I feel that I don't know how to explain it. All I can say is that when I encourage other people, I myself feel refreshed and it's not because I'm scratching their back and they're scratching mine. And I don't expect things from people. I'm just genuinely excited Mm -hmm. because I was, I was talking to Chris Kane about this a couple months ago, we were together for lunch and I did a breakout session for her ministry on publishing. And she said, what's your vision for today? And I said, I want to flood the market with new voices from women for the kingdom of God. Like I want the market Mm -hmm. to be flooded. I don't want to make more space for me and my titles. I literally want to like throw open doors and be like, let's flood the market with all the resources that people need so that they will know Jesus. So get in God's word, you know? And so I think if we find ourselves subtly feeling envy, um, feeling comparison, man, we got to do some deep work. That's not just envy. There's usually a whole iceberg underneath the surface that you need to reframe. What are your goals? What is success? What does family and community and God look like? Why are you even doing this? Because when those things are aligned, envy doesn't exist because you're like, this is my family member succeeding in the mission of God, you know? And so even Paul was so good to say, you know, there are people preaching with bad motives and good motives. And I'm kind of like any motives is awesome (laughs) because, and I think that for him to say that sitting in chains, that he would pen these letters full of exhortation and encouragement while he himself was having to to dictate the letter to someone because his arms were chained in a Roman or Ephesus prison. And so that even speaks to me of like, I don't, it doesn't matter where I am or what I'm dealing with. I need to have the capacity to encourage other people. Um, So that's kind of my view on that. I love it. Thank you so much for taking a couple extra minutes to share that. Um, Okay. As we wrap up, this podcast is called Hearers and Doers, and that's based off of the James 122 verse of don't just be hearers of God's word, but doers also. So we're going to do a little twist and your answers don't have to be spiritual, even though it's based on a verse. Okay. The first question is, is there something you're hearing right now that you're loving? I'm obsessed with the Bible project. I don't care if I sound like a broken record. Everybody (laughs) needs to go. You need to start from the beginning and you listen every single episode, but I love listening to them. 
And the Bible Project, tell real quick for people who don't know about the Bible Project, what it is. They've got a podcast. They've got cohorts. They've got seminary classes online. They've got videos on YouTube with millions and millions of views, but they illustrate and make artistic expressions of what happened in the scriptures. And then Tim and John do a podcast together and Tim's a scholar and you, okay. you should just is so good. So you'd love the Bible. I didn't Project. know they had a podcast. I've only ever seen the videos. Oh girl, the podcast is so good. Start with the, start with the series on how to read the Bible to enjoy the Bible. Oh my gosh. You'll just love it. (laughs) Okay. I'm going to go start that today. Next question. Is there anything you've been doing lately that you'd recommend others to do? I am still doing my bar three practice for a workout at home on my computer with their app. I love it. And I just, I just love it. I do it for 30 minutes, um, a couple days a week. And I feel like it's really easy and I can travel with it. All I need is my phone and I don't even need props. So that's That's something I'm doing. Okay. Bar three. And then as a wrap, what's the best way for people to connect with you? I'm on Instagram way too much. I mean, (laughs) as long as you're not a weird, creepy you know, DMer, or you didn't start your profile yesterday with six pictures of yourself. Um, <laughs> I'll probably respond to your message and I'd be so grateful to hear from y'all. Yeah. I would go follow Kat because you will get to see not just when she has a study to share with you about, but she is one very funny <laughs> to follow and also encouraging. It's so fun, Kat, how you're like the world's most fun person and also the world's smartest person I know. Um, <laughs> I'm not. Both both ends, a scholar, a nerd, and like a cheerleader. I feel like in preparation for the show, I wanted to pull out some pictures I have of us where we are like 18 and 19 years yes. old. So maybe we need yes. to like put that in the show notes or something. That needs because... to be the image for the show. Oh my gosh. You have not aged. It's like you age backwards. It's insane. You look exactly the same. I was like, look at her. She's timeless. She's ageless. Stop it. Send me, send me the pictures if you find them. That would be fantastic. I love it. Kat, thank you for coming on today. I love you so much, friend. I love you too, Becky. This is fun. Thanks for the opportunity. James 1.22 in the ESV says, be doers of the word and not hearers only. Or the message translation says it even more bluntly. Don't fool yourself into thinking that you are a listener when you are anything but. Letting the word go in one ear and out the other. Act on what you hear. This podcast is called Hears and Doers because that's the kind of people we are committing to becoming. Women are men who choose to not just hear what is true, but actually live it out in our day-to-day lives. I'd love to hear your big takeaways from today's episode. Would you share them? Post them on social media and be sure to tag me at Becky Kaiser. And if you love today's episode, don't forget to give it an awesome review because that helps others find the show too. And you can always text the link to friends so they don't miss it either. Hope you have an awesome rest of your day, my friend. Love you so.